Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Today's guest is the very beautiful Zara Dawson. Zara is a businesswoman, actress, style icon, I literally want her to live in my house and dress me, and the most incredible interior designer. She is mum to two boys who she can see through the help of fertility treatment, Jax, who is four, and Jesse, whose pregnancy she heartbreakingly had to terminate for medical reasons after he is diagnosed with body stalk anomaly. She talks me through her painful and often dangerous fertility journey and how she is using her experience to be an advocate for greater awareness and support of TFMR. As always, please visit the show notes for links if you feel you need support with any of the issues discussed. Hello, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm good, thanks, Zoe. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. The weather here in Dubai is starting to to cool down a bit, so we're all breathing a big sigh of relief. Oh, lovely. Uh, how are things there? Yeah, it's okay. We're um we've got the sunshine today at least, which is a, a huge plus for <laughs> September the twenty second. Not bad, not uh, bad. Fingers crossed, it lasts a little bit longer. I hope so. So, um, I always start my podcast with um the same question, which is how did you meet your um your husband, the lovely Lex? So Lex and I actually met when we uh, performed in a West End musical together back at the Piccadilly Theatre in 2013 stroke four. No, 2003 stroke four. I'm just adding 10 years to everything. 2003, we actually met. Um, And then Lex went off and was in Les Mis and various other shows. And I went off and was shooting a TV drama for a couple of years in Devon. So we kind of parted ways and then got back together a couple of years later and I moved in quite quickly and never moved out. (laughs) I love it that's beautiful and when did you guys um, start thinking you were ready to to start a family? 2014 is when we were actually started trying I knew I'd watched my sister go through infertility so she had endometriosis and my mum had a couple of miscarriages and tried for eight years with me And further back than that, my mum's mum also had what we now think was endometriosis, even Mm -hmm. though in those days it wasn't diagnosed. So I'd watched all this and I knew that I would more than likely have trouble. Um, So we, yeah, we started trying in 2014 and for about a year, just nothing happened. So I knew it was time to probably seek some help. And did you did you go to the NHS or did you go straight private for the for the support? No, so I just went to my GP. I mean, to be okay. honest, I never. I was so. I I don't know. I just wasn't aware of IVF really. I never thought it would come to that because I'd watched my sister struggle and my sister had um, a, a late term loss and she still fell naturally with twins and so I never wow. actually thought it would come to assisted conception. Yeah. And I remember going to my GP and it happened so quickly. So she suggested IVF. Two weeks later, I had a letter and about three weeks after that, my cycle was due to start and I completely chickened out and cancelled it. And then I received a letter from the hospital saying, if you don't take up this funding within the next three months, you lose your funding. Oh, wow. So it was kind of, I was forced in, you know, no, yeah. forced 
that I felt I kind of had no other option but to go for the for the NHS cycles. I was lucky enough that I was given three cycles on the NHS. Um, I ever only used one because the cycle resulted in my son. But it, I definitely would not have gone for it so quickly if I if I didn't have to because I didn't feel ready for all that it entailed at all. Wow. That's very efficient for the NHS as well. <laughs> well. This is what I thought. I was thinking, you know, I'm going to have a year to get my head around it. Just didn't happen that way. Wow, that's incredible. And so you fell pregnant on your first first cycle. I did. So I had, I mean, I had a pretty textbook cycle, as in I was on the lowest dose of everything. I responded really well. They collected, I think I had 34 eggs collected, which instantly 34? was the <gasps> yeah. Wow. Um, 17 were mature, 14 fertilized, and one was put back and I had six frozen. Um, I mean, looking back now and knowing what I do now, I should never, ever have had that embryo put back because I never recovered from egg collection. So after egg collection, I came round and I remember everyone else who had been in with the egg collection session had gone home. And I laid there and they there was a point where they wondered if I was having a heart attack because I had such bad chest pain oh, and I was on oxygen. I was in the hospital for four hours and I just thought, wow, OK, this that's unlucky, but I'm not going to you know dwell on that. And then I never recovered from then until genuinely about six months after Jackson was born. I never recovered. I was wow. I was so very unwell I should never have had that embryo put back and knowing now what I do if I see anyone who says I'm swollen I can't breathe very well and my transfer is in three days I just say just do not don't even catch that because it's it's not worth it and you said OHS what can you explain what that is so OHSS is over hyperstimulation hyperstimulation syndrome so yeah basically my ovaries uh over hyperstimulated and my when they measured them my ovaries were 15 centimeters each and I'm very small and yeah. bearing in mind your ovaries should be about three four centimeters and um I just remember waking up about two days after collection and thinking the way I described it was I felt I had an elephant sitting on my chest and I remember thinking oh this is a bit uncomfortable I can't breathe very well And I actually went to acupuncture that day and my acupuncturist took one look at me and said, I want you to get straight back up to the assisted conception unit and get scanned. And thankfully she did, because otherwise I would have stayed here and, you know, not have known anything. And I went there and they said, yes, it's, it's kind of looking, you know, it's, it's kind of looking like you have got OHSS, um, come back tomorrow. So So what, what what were the symptoms though? Couldn't breathe, um, just really breathless, horrific pain. I put on, uh, I think it was eight inches overnight around my wow. waist. God. And I mean, I did, I honestly did look six months pregnant. It was like I couldn't, couldn't yeah. fit in any of my clothes. I had pains going all up under my armpits, up into my chest, into my neck. It was, the pain was just immense. Oh. But again, because I'd never been through it, I thought this is obviously what IVF is. You know, it's, we all know it's not pleasant. Because I was never told about OHSS and I was never given the kind of risks of, you know, how likely it was to happen. So about three or four days after transfer, I just could not breathe. And I was sleeping, sitting up, so I wasn't getting any sleep. 
And I went back to the assisted conception unit and they scanned me and they instantly said, we are admitting you instantly to St. Thomas's Hospital. You've got fluid leaking up under your lungs, um, which is why you can't breathe. Um, But the good news is we think that means you're pregnant. And I was thinking, okay, I'm really not feeling good here and you're expecting me to be happy happy and try and kind of grow this tiny human. So instantly I I was quite scared, went to hospital and at this point, I hadn't even told my mum and dad that we'd done IVF. So I had to call my mum and say, I've been admitted to hospital. I'm really not very well. Um, I've got fluid that's leaking up into my lungs. Oh, and by the way, I'm pregnant. So wow. was this wow. whole, that's a big conversation. <laughs> this whole thing. Yeah. Bless my mum. She came straight down on the train and just took one look at me. And, you know, again, she said to me, you look six months pregnant. Oh. Um And then I stayed there for, I think I was in for two weeks while they monitored my fluid level. They had to monitor what I was drinking and what I was passing. They scanned me every other day, which was, you know, it was, it was quite petrifying really, because every day they'd say, oh, we can see the sack. Now we can see the yolk. And it was watching my pregnancy grow kind of every other day when you'd normally not normally get scanned that often. So from day one, there was a lot of anxiety and a lot of of worry around the pregnancy. Um, They didn't have to drain me, which they thought they would have to do at that point. But again, in retrospect, I kind of wish they had because that OHSS posed a problem up until I was six months pregnant. Wow. And did you feel any joy at this point at all? Um, I think I was just scared. I was really scared. So my ovarian torsion, which is when your ovary twists on its stem, my first episode happened when I was six weeks pregnant and I got rushed in by ambulance. Um, I just remember waking up in the middle of the night and I said to Lex, you're going to have to call an ambulance. Something's not right. And the first thing the paramedic said was, is it ectopic? And I said, no, I've seen the sack. You know, I've seen everything is in the place where it should be. Mm-hmm. And they took me to hospital and they kind of kept me on the bed on morphine for six hours and then the pain stopped. So they allowed me home. Two weeks later, it happened again. Blue lighted again to hospital. Same thing happened. And they said, oh, well, we can't see anything. And we can see there's blood flow to the ovaries. So it's not constricted, um, which in fact it was. They just couldn't see that on the on the scan. And then at 10 weeks, it happened again. And this time um, it was it was really bad news. It was really bad news for me. And at this point, up until this point, I had begged them to not operate on me. Mm-hmm. And when it happened at 10 weeks pregnant, um, I was in a very bad way. And I just remember saying, please just operate, please, please. And they said to me, it's a high, there's a high chance your baby won't survive this. Oh. I felt so ill. Yeah. And it, you know, as anyone who's gone through IVF would know, you do not risk your baby's no, life. No, of course not. Of course not. But it did get to the point where they did say to my husband, if she doesn't have this operation, we're not sure she'll be here in the morning which was a huge thing for him. Sorry, um, I'm a bit speechless to that. Like, what? <laughs> I know, it's, it, was, it was awful. But again, this is OHSS that clinics do not, just do not tell patients about. And I think so many clinics are so eager to get you to transfer. Um, you know, I know my case isn't a standalone case. I know not many people have to have emergency ovarian surgery during a pregnancy. But OHSS is more common than we know. Mm-hmm. Um, you shouldn't even be having transfer, even if you've got kind of minimal to moderate OHSS, because yeah. the pregnancy hormone just exasperates everything. So it's it's pretty dangerous, really. So so you were operated on then? I was, yeah, 
Yes. And again, bless my mum rushed down on the train. And um, yeah, they said to me, because I, I, I've, I've got a pretty high pain threshold. And I remember being on morphine and just saying, I just feel feel like I'm dying here. And I remember I was unconscious, but I could hear everything going on around me, but I couldn't speak. And I remember hearing the consultant say to the nurse, she's in real trouble. And oh, it was that Sarah. I had so much fear and I couldn't speak. I couldn't say anything back to him. And I remember when I came round, he came in and he said, I've got an apology to make to you because I didn't think your ovary was twisted and it was twisted round three times. And it had basically spun on its stem and then got wedged. Um, So what they did, they pierced each ovary and they drained as much fluid as they could from each ovary, twisted it all back round. If I wasn't pregnant, they would have stitched it to, I think, um, I can't remember where they said now, but the pelvic ligament or the, mm-hmm. the uterus, or they would have stitched it to somewhere to stop it, keep yeah. doing this. To stabilise it. To stabilise it. And they told me this won't happen again. And it did. It happened twice more during my pregnancy. And when I got to, um, so 28 weeks, they said to me, if it happens again, we're going to have to deliver the baby. And it was, it was petrifying. It really was petrifying. Um, and they kept saying, as the baby grows, the ovaries won't have room to twist. And it just kept happening. And, what and happened, so- every time it happened, what was it? Did you, you didn't have to be operated on every time? No. So I was just blue lighted in, oh. laid there on morphine. Um, I was on a morphine drip for so much of my pregnancy. What a traumatic experience. But on top of that, I also had polyhydramnius, which is excessive <sighs> fluid. So my body, I mean, I was just, I was huge. And I'm only five foot two and quite tiny. (laughs) So swollen. So swollen. And then because of that, um, I also had hydronephrosis, which is Jax had basically blocked my kidney by over 90%. And I kept complaining of this itch in like under my ribs. And I couldn't describe it. And I kept saying, I've got like a ball of stinging nettles. So they kept giving me Pyroton and like some cream to Mm -hmm. take the itch and it wasn't cutting it at all and um I just did not sleep I used to lay if I ever went to bed I would just end up hanging over my banister trying to like relieve this itch and I used to say to Lex can you just punch me in the kidney just punch me really hard once and it was that absolute pain that you just can't cope with um and in the end they scanned my kidneys and they said we have an issue another one we have an issue your kidney is blocked and it's very uh, toxic because there's obviously a lot of like toxic fluid that's built yeah. up and it's draining. So they planned for the next morning to put a stent through my back into my kidney to drain it, um, which I'd have to have throughout delivery and for six weeks after birth. Um, by this point, I had had enough. And where are you? Are you 28 weeks here or are you further along? Yeah, I was 34. So I went into labour at I went into premature labour at 28 and they held it off until 36. But this happened at 34. And I woke up on the morning of the procedure and I chickened out and I snuck into the kitchen on the on the uh, on the ward and I ate some Alpen so they weren't allowed to operate on me. You rebel. <laughs> you know when you're like that, those are my pregnancy hormones talking. I just wasn't thinking straight. And I was in such pain and I was thinking, I'm not, I just don't want a bag. I don't want a, like a tube and a bag hanging off of me when I'm trying to deliver this baby. It just got me to a point where I was, I was so over it. And I was, I definitely had um, a depression. 
I would I can say that now looking back I don't know um, how you didn't have depression having gone through all well, of that no, and it was it was almost three months in hospital on my own because my family don't live near me and they would come down as much as they could but you, they could only be with me for a few hours a day mm-hmm. and Lex and I run our own very busy business that he had to keep you know going so it was it was just me in a hospital bed and it was so depressing and I remember I really cracked one night and I packed my bag and the, and the midwife came in and she said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm out. Of, I can't, I can't cope. I just can't cope. And she sat and spoke with me for about four hours and persuaded me to stay in the hospital. Oh. And thankfully I did because the next day I went into labor. Yay to that midwife. <laughs> Goodness. Um, what were you feeling about, I mean, obviously we didn't know it was Jack's at that point. What were you feeling about him? the pregnancy and the baby how were you nothing I had no connection to him at all because it was just so much focused on everything um, going on and, and the symptoms and the pain yeah, and I think because they told us we were losing him twice I just did not let myself connect with him oh. because I'd been I'd been there when my sister's um son was born sleeping and I just I think that played into it and I just did I would not let myself connect I didn't have a pram didn't have my nursery I had nothing because I thought if this doesn't work yeah I won't have the memories yeah no I understand I understand and did anyone offer you any support like counseling at this point nothing nothing gosh absolutely nothing I mean I know petals are in Tommy's now in Tommy's hospital where I was um and I've done a lot of work campaigning to get more help more after um the termination for medical reasons diagnosis mm-hmm. but generally across the board I've just been through three recurrent miscarriages and there just isn't enough help and care and we know a lot a lot of it comes down to budgets but mental health is such a big thing now and mm-hmm. we have to see look, where this all starts and a lot of the time with a troublesome pregnancy it starts there and it's just not it's not catered for at all because if you go out of that hospital with a live and well baby, they then don't fine. Yeah. They don't understand what you're yeah. moaning about. I'm so happy to say that this episode of Motherhood Exposed has been sponsored by my favourite baby shop in Dubai, Eggs and Soldiers, the parenting treasure trove on the ground floor of Times Square Centre and online at eggsandsoldiers.com. Launched in 2014 by lifelong UAE resident and mother of four, Sophie Chabowski, Eggs and Soldiers proudly researches, personally tests and cherry picks eco-aware, sustainable and locally sourced baby essentials and playtime equipment, plus the world's safest and most rigorously tested strollers and car seats. This is where you'll find honest advice about the best purchases for your baby, toddler and family's ever-changing needs, plus tips on what you can definitely do without. Check out eggsandsoldiers.com where you can live chat with the team and order with free speedy delivery throughout the UAE and across the Middle East. Not only that, but the lovely team at Eggs and Soldiers have given all Motherhood Exposed listeners a 10% discount code valid until November the 8th. So for online purchases, use Zoe CM10. Z-O-E-D-M-10. So you had Jax and how was the birth? Um, horrific. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't expecting it. It was really honestly. So I remember waking up on the day that it all kicked off, and so I was thirty-six weeks and didn't feel well. Went for breakfast with all the other women on the ward, where I'd been there for almost three weeks at this point, and was just going out of my head, living in a tiny cubicle. And I just felt all of a sudden my heart raced, and I felt my blood pressure drop. So I went back to the bed. 
And they said to me, yes, yeah, something's not, not right here. I'm going, going to get your consultant. And he came and examined me and I felt my waters pop, but it wasn't my waters. It was blood and it had absolutely gushed out of me. And they still to this day don't really know what the cause for it was. But he said, this baby has to come out now. Um, So again, it was quite a lot of panic, um, which, you know, when I was functioning on quite a high level of anxiety anyway. And probably hardly any sleep and adrenaline. Still in a hell of a lot of pain. They'd actually had a talk with me the week before and said, we have to wean you off of this morphine because we're worried the baby's getting dependent on it. So I wasn't allowed any painkillers. I was allowed paracetamol, which didn't touch this kidney pain um, and the polyhydramnius pain. And they popped my waters and Jack's went into cardiac distress. So the red button was pushed. Mm -hmm. And anyone who's been through that, um, it feels like it goes on for a lifetime. It probably only went on for five minutes, but it was just like a flurry of Medical people ran into the room. They pushed Lex to one side. So Lex had made it. He'd, he'd got to the hospital. Yes. You. Okay. Uh, I'd called him. Yeah, I'd called him up. Um, they allowed him to go home. Before they burst my waters, they allowed him to go home, get a car seat, because we literally had nothing, <laughs> and came back up. Um, but, yeah, so that was, that was a really petrifying. And I thought then, this is when I'm going to lose him. I thought, I've come all this way, and this is where and I now, lose him. Yeah. And did yeah, it so, go to an emergency cesarean? No. So they kind of calmed that all down and they allowed me, They were. They, I did get really checked upon and I was watched and I had two midwives with me throughout um, and I had a consultant coming in and out, I think because I was quite a high-risk pregnancy at this point. I think so, yeah. I think we could put you <laughs> in that category. <laughs> um, but when it actually came to it, so I had an epidural that didn't work obviously um, why would it? <laughs> it a few times and they just couldn't numb me up um which was awful and was it um, do you think it was the labor pain or do you think it was the kidney pain that they couldn't touch it was the labor pain because as soon as they'd popped my water the kidney pain disappeared and it was euphoric oh wow <laughs> it was the best feeling and I also I had so much water they were just getting buckets yeah, and buckets, buckets. Oh, well beats on. <laughs> And I honestly thought I'd given birth. I felt so <laughs> slim. I thought, oh my God, I look tiny because I had been like just a complete water balloon. Um, so no, they allowed me to kind of birth and labor for quite a while. And um, it went wrong at the very end. And when I came back to do my birth debrief, debrief it, it turned out that Jax had been in cardiac distress for over 35 minutes and the consultant hadn't um, really paid attention to this. So at the 11th hour, she had to literally yank him out. Um, yeah, Bontus. And I had a horrific, horrific tear, which I then was in surgery for for hours. Oh God. Um, yeah, it was, it was awful. And my, I mean, poor Lex, because again, it wasn't that, that lovely birth that you imagine. No. And the baby came out and he looked quite healthy at the time. He looked okay. So they passed him to me and then passed him to Lex. And Lex said all he remembers is the two midwives and the consultant just grabbing blue paper towels and just awful, just shoving them in me just to try and stop my bleeding. Okay. And again, from your tear at this point. Yeah, it was, it was horrific. Um, I lost a lot of blood and 
ended up in surgery and I just remember during surgery I kept losing consciousness and I remember the midwife kept slapping me and saying you've got to stay awake for me you've got to stay awake and it's weird how you just remember these snippets but it's Uh obviously the time of your life when you felt true fear and I remember it back at the beginning of the pregnancy when the consultant said to the nurse she's in trouble I remember that feeling and I remembered that feeling again when that that midwife kept saying stay awake for us gosh and then it was um, yeah you said, so you went to like recovery afterwards and then was was Jack's there waiting for you he was so he was there and um I've got videos of the time of him laying on my chest I mean I'm just pretty dead to the world at this yeah point. I mean I'm did you did you feel anything at this point no I just no not really I didn't I think I was just so overwhelmed um couldn't believe that Ill. I actually so ill yeah I mean yeah, coming around from, you know, an epidural and the, the uh, surgery and I was in so much pain and he was making this really funny little, like a hiccup noise. And at the time we were like, oh, that's so cute. Listen to that. And we filmed him at the t- and looking back on the video now, you just think, my goodness. Is he grunting? And, yes, exactly. And I called the midwife and I said, oh, listen to this. You know, I'd got really friendly with her because she'd looked after me for most of the three months I'd been in. Wow. And he said, I'm just going to take him downstairs. I'll be back with him. And yeah, he didn't come back for quite some time after that. He went into intensive care. So he had respiratory issues um, and uh, blood sugar issues. Um, So he was on the CPAP mask for quite some time. I was in a wheelchair because I couldn't walk. So. I'm so speechless. I don't even, I feel traumatized yeah. listening to it. It it's- was, it was really, really difficult. But again, because you, you'd had the baby and, you know, after he came out of NICU and he was okay, you're expected to walk out of that hospital and be nothing but thankful. Mm-hmm. A big smile and on you your face. And- yeah, and you're not listening. You're not taking into account the trauma I've been through. I didn't take it into account either because I'd never been through a pregnancy. And I kind of thought, well, all pregnancies must be this awful. You know, they all must be this traumatic. So just suck it up and get on with it. And that's that's what I tried to do for so long until I just, I couldn't do it any longer. Oh, and what do you mean by that with? Um, so my milk, I didn't have enough milk. Well, you'd lost so much blood, so. I'd lost so much blood and because of the, the trauma, I think my body was just in shock. You've been but away I, from Jack's as well, which was, all of this it. has a massive impact. Lex would wheel, take me in the wheelchair through to intensive care throughout the night, every few hours. And I would just sit with him or try and feed him or just try, you know, try to bond with him just to to heal him and to to create the bond. And it was just awful. And the the midwives who were on used to just get so annoyed that I'd ask them to open the the NICU doors. And I'd think, well, do you think I want to be in a wheelchair, being wheeled in to see my baby who's Uh on a breathing machine? Uh And there was no compassion there at all. Um, And I did speak to the hospital and I know I've heard so many stories of postnatal care just being awful. And I know there's an element of the women are hormonal and we've just had a baby and we're probably sensitive. But you need to take that into consideration also. If that's all it is, then... No, it's not all it is because I think, um, I mean, I've not worked in the NHS now for quite some years, but it's it's notoriously known that we don't give enough into the postnatal care. Right. Um, it's it's just not it's not um 
it's just not funded enough it's not staffed enough um there isn't the time to uh we get volunteers to come in now to help with with breastfeeding and things there just isn't there isn't the resources that um postnatal care needs because it's a bit like i always say it's a bit like pregnancy you know so much focus gets put on the the birth and women often women find it hard to think beyond the birth um Mm -hmm. and it's a bit similar really in, in that respect and hopefully Hopefully things are improving these days, but um, I'm so sorry for what you went through. Yeah, it was tough. And I I also remember one of the midwives who, again, I'd been with throughout my hospital stay and had struck up a nice friendship with her. And once she was on postnatal, she changed. And I remember she came in one day and also I was put on a ward with all mothers with their babies. And I was there without mine, which is just, just heartbreaking. Barbaric. And it, yeah, it makes me sad thinking about that because I know so many women are still going through that now. Mm-hmm. And she came in one day and I was just in floods of tears. And she said, What's wrong? And I said, Oh, I, you know, I'm just having a really bad day. And she said, Pull yourself together. And I thought, Wow, okay. And shortly after that, they said to me, Jackson isn't improving as we'd like, but you're doing fine. So you're going to have to leave the hospital. And I said, But what's happened to all this? these these night feeds I've been doing to build up his feeding because you're telling me he's not very strong and and it was there was just no support there whatsoever um luckily as it turns out I did have to stay in because I wasn't actually healing as well as they thought and he kind of did recover a bit quicker than they thought so together we kind of we kind of matched timelines but Mm -hmm. um he then got terrible jaundice so we did have to stay in a bit longer um just something else (laughs) (laughs) just something else when he came out because I just didn't have enough milk but I put so much pressure on myself so I would sit up I'd feed him and then I'd sit up between feeds and express and express and express and I would beat myself up so much and then feeding time would come around again and I hadn't slept a wink and I would try again and it was just I wasn't sleeping I wasn't eating I wasn't, I could go days without drinking water. And I now wonder why I had no milk, but I was so numb to everything. And, you know, Paul and Paul Lex didn't know what he was looking out for. He just thought it was baby blues because that's what the health visitor had told him. Um, And Jax was just dropping weight and was readmitted to hospital three times because he just couldn't keep any weight on, which of course made me feel awful so this and then, spiral of oh, it's just everything and feeding I, into each other. If I could go back and have my time again, I would persevere at the breastfeeding for a week. And if it didn't work out, that baby would be straight on the bottle because the day I turned to bottle was the day I truly felt I became a mum. Oh. And, and how, I felt how, I how old was Jax when you, when you made that decision? Um, four months. Oh, wow. You really yeah, stuck I, at I, it. I did. I did. I mean, I, I completely beat myself up. And what state were you in by this point? Awful. I mean, I was, you know, I'd lost so much weight. I just was pretty numb to everything. I was enjoying being a mum. I can't say I wasn't enjoying it, but everything was based around the feeds. So if I ever had downtime with him or, you know, anything, playtime with him, I'd be clock watching and I'd think, oh, I've got 11 minutes till I've got to do that again. And it would, everything would revolve around that. Um. And yeah, I just, I had a midwife who came around, a health visitor, sorry, who came around and I said to her, I'm struggling feeding. I don't, I don't feel good myself and I don't have enough milk. You know, can I, 
can I perhaps do this combination feeding that I've seen? And she said to me, would you put cooking oil in his mouth? And I went, no. And she said, well, don't give him formula then. And my husband literally marched her out of the house. I am truly sorry. That stuck with me. me. And I was like, she's right. I'm not going to touch. I can't touch formula. And it didn't even, it didn't really even matter that he had been given formula in intensive care. And, you know, it had got him through and it has helped him get stronger. I didn't even think about that because I just thought to myself, that that health visitor is right. You have to do this. Come on, you can do this. And I just beat myself up beyond anything that I do now. I can say I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So please tell me you got some help at some point. I did. To be honest, as soon as I went to the bottle, everything changed. I did go to my GP. Um, a friend of mine who is actually an ambassador of uh, the Mind charity over mm-hmm. here, yeah. she had awful postnatal depression herself, awful. And she's suffered with depression ever since. And it was actually her who said to Lex, Zara needs a bit of help here. Um, because I don't think husbands generally do know what to look for. Mm-hmm. Because everything has changed and you have been through a lot. So what's normal and what's not? And who are they to kind of start the battle of trying yeah, make to make that decision? Yeah. yeah. And I did go to the GP and she agreed that, you know, I didn't see myself, but I said to her, I feel now I've got on the bottle, things are going to change and I just need a bit more time. And it did, everything changed. And I just, I just absolutely flourished as soon as Lex could do some of the feeds and other people could. And yeah. I just, as soon as Jack started to put on weight, it then became apparent. I don't care what he's being fed as yeah. long as he's being fed. Yeah. And that's yeah. all that matters. Wow. And in terms of your, your whole pregnancy, the whole situation was, how was Lex coping with everything? Because it was incredibly traumatic for you, but it's also traumatic for a partner who's having to watch the person they love the most going through all of this and they sort of a bit helpless. Yeah, he was, there were many times when he was scared, mainly when um, my ovarian torsion happened. Mm-hmm. He was obviously petrified and especially being told, you know, if she doesn't have this operation, we're not sure she'll be here in the morning. I can't imagine what that's like to no, be told. No, yeah. And also for your partner to be pregnant. And it kind of, when I had that operation, it was very much, we had given into the fact that I would have that operation and we would come out of it with no baby. And we had given into that. And we we thought that's just the way it has to be. This isn't our time. And that's that. And I think that took a lot of strength for him to get through that and then watch me go through it again, again and again. again yeah. I think once I was in St. Thomas's, he felt a bit more at ease because he knew that if anything was to happen, I was where I needed to be. And I know that he said whenever I was sent home, that's when he'd feel really fearful. Yeah, because then it's almost like he's in charge or he's... Exactly. Do you think it affects your relationship now? Um, No, I think, I mean... He always says that I'm his superwoman because he said he can't you believe are. what we go through. Um, but no, I think it made us stronger for sure. I think it made us stronger. And I think when we tried for Jesse, a lot of his kind of trepidation was around what he'd seen me go through. Of course. Of Whereas course. I took on the kind of mindset of, look what I went through, what could be worse? Little did I know what was to come. <laughs> But anyway, you know, I did that. That's kind of, that's the mindset that I took on. I was like, look what I went through with Jax and I got through that. I can do, I can do this. And so, as well, 
you have that baby, I would have gone through that whole pregnancy again. If I didn't know that the outcome was the same, I'd have gone through all that 10 times over for sure. So you were by now enjoying Jack's and you were a lovely family of three. And so then you started, decided to start and try again for yes. the sibling. Yeah, a couple of years after. I did actually start counselling with Petals Baby Loss Charity. Yep. Um, thank God I did because I obviously I had no idea what was to come and my counsellor just saw me through everything Good. with my termination, thank goodness. Um, and it took it took quite a while for me to even process everything I'd been through with Jax and to even feel in a place where I was ready to try again. Um, and the fear was definitely there. There was there was so much fear, mm-hmm. but because I wasn't doing a fresh cycle, they yeah. told me that OHSS wouldn't happen. And because of that, a lot of where my issues started, I was quite hopeful that I could bypass all that. Mm-hmm. So you went back to the same clinic. I did, yes. Yeah. So I went back and had a, a natural frozen cycle which was so simple compared to, you know, yeah, fresh it's so different, isn't it? It's just like it's nothing, but pee on some sticks at home until <laughs> it tells you you're ovulating and then you start progesterone and go in. I mean, that literally was it. Um, yeah. And it worked and it was, it was, again, it started a bit rocky because my beta HCG was so high and nothing was showing in my uterus. So okay. they scanned me recurrently for a few days. And so they're worried me. about a molar pregnancy. Uh, ectopic yeah they said if you can't see anything by Friday at five o'clock you're in for surgery so it was like as the days were ticking every scan you still can't see anything every scan and then that last scan it took three people and they said we're just going to get our consultant Tom and he came in and he said I can see something that I'm comfortable enough means that you don't have to have the operation for a couple of days I'd like to watch this grow and if it doesn't, come back on Monday and we'll get you straight into surgery. And thankfully, it turned out to be the sack and it wasn't an ectopic. But yeah, again, quite oh. a traumatic start. And, and with that start, did you, did you feel like everything was happening again? And Because and, yeah. you must have suffered some sort of you know, PTSD from everything Absolutely. that went on with Jax. And did you feel like you were going back there or were you able to? Absolutely. No. And again, because you're at the same hospital, you're being scanned on the same beds in the same room. It is emotional recall. It just comes straight back to you, um, whether you're aware of it or not. And yeah, I just thought, here we go again. That is yeah. that's my first thought. I thought he, I wasn't fearful, but I just thought, here we go again. And this time, it's it, it must have almost felt worse because you had the responsibility of, of gorgeous Jacks as well. Um, yeah. And when we went, you know, when we discussed going for a frozen cycle, we did discuss all that and we said, what happens if I have another pregnancy like that? And we kind of tried to make provisions about what we do with Jack's and who could come down and look after him and, you know, what would happen with our business. And by this time we did have a couple of members of staff. So we were trying to work out logistically if this could happen, if yeah. I was out of option. Um, and we felt quite well equipped, um, but we weren't equipped at all for what, what was to come. Did you tell anyone you were having another cycle? Uh, no. Literally, maybe one of my friends, but that's it. I just, find, I just found it so much easier just to get on with it. And yeah, I think head down. what I've been through, if I'd have told my parents and my sister, they would have just been, had so many sleepless nights because they would have feared it all so much. Yeah. So I just thought, yeah, get rid of the stress and just do your own thing. So um, he was, uh, there was a sack. And yeah. how did the pregnancy then continue? It was, it was going really well, to be honest. And, um, 
yeah, everything was looking great. I felt horrifically sick. I could not eat a thing. Oh, no. I not even lift my head off of the pillow, but I loved it. I just loved, you know, I would, I loved that feeling. Because like it's almost I knew- like a positive symptom. Exactly. It was like a, yeah, it was like a lovely pain because <laughs> like you have a massage that really hurts, but you're like, yeah. but it's nice. It's good. It's um, good. Yeah. And I had lots of pelvic pain from early on. I had kidney pain from early on. So they were scanning my kidneys. Um, and, but yeah, I felt good. I felt awful, but I felt good. <laughs> Just, <laughs> awfully good. I felt awfully yeah, good. I literally, I mean, if I used to get up to go for a wee in the middle of the night, I would crawl back to bed because the nausea was so intense. Oh no. Um, and they they tried me on medication. Nothing worked. So they just, you know, they just said, just keep riding it out and hopefully it will pass as you get a bit further on. And when did things take a turn with the pregnancy? Um, it was a few months in. I've never actually said how many weeks because I don't even know why. It's just a silly thing. But I like that just to be the one little thing that Lex and I knew. Yeah, I think that's um, great. But, you know, it was past the 12-week scan when everyone says you can relax not that that counts for much I don't think when you've been through loss or troublesome pregnancy or IVF you're like it's another week (laughs) like that's really all it is um but yeah everything looked great and he to us he looked perfect on the scan looking back now I can see things maybe if I'd have known a bit more about what to be looking for and you could clearly see that there were issues okay um which is why I can't understand why it wasn't picked up before and wasn't you know I was being scanned weekly so I just don't understand why it was left so long but you know it wasn't so you were scanned and and what what were you told everything was perfect she said we were having a laugh and she said oh look at him kicking and what he kept waving to us (laughs) and everything was great and I went out into the waiting room and I sent Lex back down our friend had come to look after Jack's And I sent him back down to get Jack's and I said, I'm just going to get my anti-sickness meds and pain meds and I'll be straight down. And then she literally called us back in, the sonographer did. And my first thought was, oh, she forgot to give me a scan picture Mm -hmm. because she never gave me one and they'd always been giving me one. And then I went back into the room and she closed the door. And then I just, it was just like, you know, the things that you see in the movies where you see person's mouth talking and you can't hear what they're saying and my chest just felt like it was going to explode and she just I remember her saying a pouch of fluid on his stomach may close up come back in two weeks and I just I I kept saying but what what does this what does this mean and she just wouldn't get eye contact with me she was obviously I don't know whether she just wasn't meant to be delivering the news yeah maybe wasn't experienced enough yeah exactly but something it was just done in such a cold way and then she sent me back out into the waiting room and I just text Lex and said they found a pouch of fluid on his stomach devastated come straight back up and I I think I knew so early on I just knew I think probably with everything I'd been through and how I felt my luck was with all this I just knew this wasn't going to end the way that we'd hoped. And so then did somebody tell you, um, you, you had a, lot, a, a long wait in the hospital, is that right? I did, yeah. I waited for hours because I said, I, I can't go home and just right. wait for two weeks. Like that's no. barbaric to tell me to do that. I need to speak to a consultant. I want someone to explain to me what you've just found. What is a pouch of fluid on the stomach? Like, what does this mean? Which is exactly what should have been done in the beginning. Exactly. 
happening. And I waited for hours and hours and was obviously in floods of tears at the early pregnancy unit, which is never a nice thing for no. the other women no. there. I'm, I'm aware of that. So they put me into a side ward. Um, again, it was the same team who had looked after me during my pregnancy with Jack. So they knew me quite well. <laughs> and they put me into a side ward and I just sat there for hours Googling every Im- imaginable thing, pouch of fluid. And I kept seeing the word termination come up. And I, I couldn't get my head around it because I thought, what, do, like, what, what does that mean? You don't terminate a pregnancy if the baby's alive. Like, mm-hmm. what does that mean? And I'd never, I'd never heard of it until that point. And I'd never knew anyone who had been through it. I never knew yeah. it was a thing. Yeah. So the doctor, um, what, what, did he, what did the consultant have to say to you then when, it, when they finally appeared? So she pulled me into a room and she said, it's very hard for me to tell you exactly what it is because I wasn't in on the scan. And I thought, well, just take me you back into scan, <laughs> scan me again. Um, it was all quite cold, to be honest. And she said, it can be one of three things. It could either be that a bit of his bowel is out, you know, his stomach hasn't closed. That's yep. easy to at birth. It could be like the second stage where a few more organs are out. And depending on what they are, that's also fixable. The third one is called body stalk anomaly, and um, that one means incompatible with life. But I'm telling you, we are not talking about that. And I thought, okay, that's okay. We're not talking about that one. Okay. So then I started Googling, you know, baby survival rate if they have operation for inserting a bowel back after birth, just all these weird Google terms that I was, I was just going around in my head. Yeah. And I've still got the drawing. She drew me the three three kind of stages it could yep. have been and I still got that drawing and I by the one that's for body stalk she's put a big cross to say it's not this one and I just wish that she hadn't been so sure because maybe I wouldn't have had that tiny bit of hope you had hope yeah so you took yourself off the next day is that right to have a private scan yeah so I called Which... the Portland and I just said I had a scan yesterday that showed an abnormality and I'd just like a second opinion. And I just, I just can't help think that obviously you're in a position where you can afford to go for a private scan, but for all of those women who were, who were told the similar news and having to wait two weeks, knowing that their baby may be incompatible with life. Like how do you, how do you function? If I can tell you how clear it was on the scan, how unwell Jesse was, they did not need to wait two weeks. They did not need to wait two. They didn't need to wait two minutes. It was very clear. And looking back now, I remember on every scan, he was right at the top of the sack. He was right at the top. And it's because his umbilical cord was so tiny. He was basically glued to the top. Attached to the centre, yeah. He was attached to the, and he he had no, he couldn't move. And I could see that. Looking back now, I can see that. So that never picked up. So anyway, I went to the Portland and the poor girl who scanned me, I don't know whether she didn't get the message that I'd had an abnormal scan and I just wanted feedback and and the second opinion. But she started scanning and I just saw the colour drain from her face. And she said, "Um, I'm just going to get my my other sonographer. He's a lot more um, advanced and experienced than I am. And I said to Lex, this isn't this isn't going to end well. Like, just trust me. Lex is someone who always is positive until the very end. And I'm someone, he says it's negative. I think I'm always realistic. 
<laughs> you know, my husband and I have very similar conversations. So. Really? <laughs> like, stop with the butts. It doesn't need to be butts. <laughs> like, it's just balance. It's yeah. just that. Um, and yeah, the guy came in and he said to us, he sat down and he said, now I'm, I've sat, he said to Lex, I've sat where you've sat as a dad in a scan and I've sat here where I am and have given bad news many a time. Do you want me to be honest with you? And we said, we want you to just tell us everything you see. Mm -hmm. And he started scanning and he started, I mean, it went on for a long, long time. And he started shaking my belly really violently. And I thought, well, even if my baby is fine, I know that's not good for him. Now what I know he was trying to do was just to get Jesse down, just to try and see if there was any more um, cord, if, yeah. there, if, you know, if he was glued yeah. to the placenta, and he was. And he said, I'm really sorry. And I said, it's body stalk anomaly, isn't it? And he said, how, do, you know, how are you aware of this? And I said, I was up all night doing research. And he said, it is, and it is incompatible with life. And Lex just went to pieces. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. Um, and you were then left running around, really, um, trying to sort things out. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So I went to back to St. Thomas's the next day with the findings from Which the is Portland. just all wrong in itself, um, having to go, you know, that, that information, you shouldn't have been the one having to pass on all of this okay. information. You should be the one at home with your family and I actually I almost felt like they were cross that I'd gone behind their backs oh. and I said I've had this scan at the Portland yesterday here are the findings I'm not going home today I'm not going home and waiting another 12 no. days no I want I want a scan today with the fetal team fetal medical team and I want to know my options mm -hmm. and I want to know where we go from here and they again made me wait till four o'clock in the afternoon knowing what was coming um you know and I know they can't just fit everyone in and I know everyone has their own thing they're going through I'm well aware of that but at the same time when you're dealing with something that's clearly quite serious I just felt there should have been more care just to get me scanned and, and yeah. get me home yeah. with all the information yeah. that I needed mm -hmm. and when it did come around to it they were they were you know, they were honest with me and they said there is no chance of this baby surviving. Um, his foot had actually started to protrude out of the sack. So it was then posing an issue to my health. And they said, from a health point of view, we would recommend ending the pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we could see, I mean, he was so poorly. There, were no, there was no doubt in our minds and I needed those scans. I needed every single one of those scans to really make me go, we have no choice. Yeah. Like that's, that's it. And I couldn't for my mental health. And I know some people do carry the baby until, you know, nature intends that it should end. But I couldn't for my mental health. I had my son to think of. Yeah, I, had, I was going to say you also have to consider Jax. Yeah. Of course you do. And, you know, if there was anything I could have done to change the outcome, I would, but I just couldn't. But also just there, you're justifying what happened and you don't need to do that. That's completely unnecessary. Um, so did they offer you a solution? Um, were you admitted that day? No. So they said we can... Nothing so simple. <laughs> nothing so simple. And they said, why don't you go home and think of it? Think about it. And I said, but what, I, 
what am I thinking about? You've what, just what choice me, am I peddling? Be given, I yeah. Will yeah. not survive. And I think in their minds, we'd been given the diagnosis and we were jumping to a decision. But I said to them, this is my third consecutive day of being scanned. And I've been told exactly what we're facing. Yeah. Um, I've done my research. I'm not making a rash decision. You've just said to me, the baby is not compatible with life. I don't need any more time. I need to get on with this and just try and get the whole thing over with because I can then start to heal. Yeah. Um, and they said, we no longer offer a uh, surgical termination or DNC here. Um, when you're this far gone, um, but we can offer you a medical termination. And because I'd been through um, the awful birth with my sister when my nephew was born sleeping, I just couldn't go back there. So, the, and, sorry, the difference is a medical termination, you almost have to, you have to birth the baby. You have to birth, um, yes. As a surgical termination, it's done within a theatre situation. Exactly. I'd only, a few weeks earlier, been told that, I wouldn't be allowed another natural birth, vaginal birth. I would have to have a cesarean because mm-hmm. of everything I went through with Jax. Mm-hmm. Even though Jesse wasn't full term and, you know, he would be much smaller, I just couldn't go there. I just, mentally, I was absolutely petrified. Um, and I said to them, this isn't, you know, this isn't an option for me. And she said, your only option is the Mary Stopes abortion clinic. And she sent me away with a leaflet and I remember the consultant saying to me, look into, you know, if you can afford this, look into private because don't be pushed into a medical. And the midwife was saying, yes, but that's all we can offer. And they were arguing in front of us. And the consultant, <laughs> said, oh, but it was the consultant who obviously shouldn't have been saying this, you know, but was just saying to us, I agree that this is not right for you. Yeah. Um, and so I went home with, I had a leaflet for the Mary Stopes Abortion Clinic and a leaflet for ARC, mm-hmm. um, who is the charity who deals with uh, parents who have these diagnoses. I'll put all yeah. of um, this into the show notes so anyone can, can access it if, you, if they want to, yeah. Right, yeah, they're just incredible. And I, I remember just calling Jane, the, the lady who works at ARC, and just, I don't even know if she could make out a word I was saying, <laughs> just sobbing down the phone at her. Um, and she calmed me down and kind of gave me my options and said, you know, many hospitals don't do surgical terminations now. And as awful as it is, this is where we find ourselves. So I started calling around all the abortion clinics, trying to book in my own termination, which when you really want that baby, that's really hard. That is, again, barbaric. I'm using the same word I used earlier, but I mean, how you've, you've just gone to clinics to have to conceive a baby and now you're having to look for a clinic to determine the pregnancy it's I know and it goes on so much in fact I had two friends one during lockdown and one just before who went through this and, and and one of them did manage to get into the hospital and the other one didn't and she had to go to the abortion clinic without her partner oh, completely no. on her own and it's just again both IVF babies wow um and presumably and, every time you're having to retell your story to everybody. Oh, my God. It was just, it, it was just, and you know, I was very clearly pregnant and I was trying to maintain some kind of normality for Jack. So I'd take him out to the park <laughs> and I'd bump into friends who would go, oh, my God, congratulations. And I literally would just say thank you. And I just, I didn't even have the capacity to go there. I yeah. just, I just didn't. 
Um, and I remember calling around a few of the clinics and trying to book in, and I managed to get booked in one in Brixton. Now, bearing in mind, these are clinics are just in like, the one in Brixton is in like an old Victorian house. And I thought, God, I don't really feel that safe. No, even your history. Yeah, even my history. Um, and I know many women do it. And obviously many women are fine. But I think if you have got that, that gynecological history, absolutely, it's very complicated. You should not be an option. That's no. not safe. So I spoke with her and I said, look, I need to, you know, run me through the process. Can my husband be with me? No. Okay. Will I be in a room on my own when I come round? No, you'll be with other women who have been through it. And I thought other women who are there, because for whatever reason, they wanted to abort their baby. My feelings were going to be so very different. And I just didn't feel, I just didn't feel it was my place to be there at all. And then I said to her, I need to get Jesse's body back to St. Thomas's to be genetically tested um, so they can see exactly if what he had was genetic or was body stock anomaly, which is just a completely rare defect. And she said, uh, let me just check and went off the phone and she came back and she said, okay, we can give you it in a box on the day to take away. It's in a box. Um, don't worry. The box isn't see-through. Oh. And I went, oh, right. Okay. Okay. And I came off the phone and I thought, oh, well, that's good. At least the box isn't see-through. I mean, where my mind was at. Because I felt so backed into a corner, I thought, you've just got to make the best of a horrific situation here. And I remember calling my sister and saying, yeah, it's all sorted. I can go in next week. Um, and another thing I said, what happens if you do experience any issues with me on the table, any, any um, issues or complex, mm -hmm. anything complex arises? And she said, don't worry, we'll blue light you to the nearest hospital. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. And I told my sister all this and she said, this, this isn't, this isn't how you're going to lose Jesse. This cannot be how it happens for you. Mm -hmm. This is dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just barbaric. And I spoke to Mary Stokes again the next day and said, I just want to reiterate that you understand my, my gynecological history. Um, all the issues I've been through, the issues I went through with Jack's and they came back on and they said, we're not sure we will perform the procedure for you. Which is a relief in a way. I'm pleased that they responded in that. that did leave me with one option and that was for a medical termination, which I didn't want. Um, so I went back to St. Thomas and I just said, look, where does this leave me? I'm completely backed into a corner. A couple of weeks ago, you told me vaginal birth wasn't recommended to me. And now, you know, I know situations are different, but you're now telling me to have mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. From a trauma point of view, I just don't feel I can do that, let alone from a physical point of view. And it was two weeks of back and forth to the hospital. And I just didn't have my termination booked. And so I, the whole time I was carrying, clearly pregnant, you know, having to face people at play groups and baby groups and on the street and in the park. And the whole time I was just knowing what was coming and didn't know how on earth we were going to end this pregnancy. And it was. It was seriously the darkest two weeks of, of our lives. It must have been torture. Yeah, it was. So eventually they agreed to do... They did, and it wasn't until the 11th hour, and they said, we've got the team, we just can't find an anaesthetist, because everybody had to agree right. um, to do the surgery. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't find an anaesthetist who would agree to it. And 
they called me on the Thursday evening and said, we've got good news. Were their words? We've got good news. We've found an anaesthetist. Can you be at the unit for 7am in the morning? And I was so elated until it hit me what that meant. Yeah, yeah. And it was really, it was really tough to all of a sudden know the date that we would lose Jesse. Mm-hmm. It's just a weird, it's such a weird thing because you think, you know, with stillbirth or miscarriage, it happens and you have no control over the date or anything. But with a termination, you are marking that date yourself. And it's really heavy. Did you feel really, did you really feel, heavy thing to carry? Did you feel guilt for Oh my God, huge guilt. Huge guilt. I was actually up all night throwing up and I think it was oh. just pure shock. Yeah. yeah. And my mum had come down to look after Jax and she found me on the bathroom floor and she said, They're not gonna they're not gonna put you to sleep if you're still vomiting. So it was that whole worry that they weren't gonna do it and they did on the day. Um but um yeah, they said it was a bit dangerous during surgery because I threw up as well and they had to like Oh, did you? Yeah, it was it was not very pleasant surgery, and I came out with a such a sore throat. But I think they'd used a bigger tube. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't wasn't very well when I came round. But I mean, God, that was the least of my worries. Um, I did. I felt so guilty, and I prayed. I just thought, God, imagine how amazing it would be if I got there and they scanned me and he'd passed away. <laughs> and that is honestly all I wished for. No mother should have to wish that ever. No, it was it was awful. It was really awful. And this is where I completely agree with Lex that you're superwoman because you've <laughs> taken your experience and now you're campaigning. Can you tell me well, as everything that you've been up to because you've been doing a lot and you've had a big breakthrough recently, haven't you? Yes. So it got announced last week that Tommy's Petals and Arc have formed together and have created a campaign to break amazing. the violence. Well it just needed to be done. And I think it just maybe took somebody with a, <laughs> a lot of determination and a big mouth to push it over. <laughs> you're like, I'm the woman. So this is breaking the silence for termination for medical reasons. Yeah. Absolutely. And it needs to start at the source. So the person who delivers the news of the diagnosis of the baby, because not all babies are incompatible with life. There mm. are many, you know, there are many kind of different ranges that you can be given. And the diagnosis can be anything from your baby would have to have regular operations or would require extra care or, you know, there are su- there's such a huge wide range for it. And it's not just an incompatible with life diagnosis. But if you're given that diagnosis that your baby has some medical issue, the person who delivers that needs to be armed with all the information and where yeah. you can get help. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just, that's the basics. Mm-hmm. That's the basics that we need to know. And until now, there just hasn't been that. You could find it if you really searched for it with ARC. Um, but that was that was literally it. There was nothing else out there. And, you know, termination for medical reasons, the diagnosis aren't going to suddenly drop in numbers. And if anything, um, when I was talking to my last consultant, because women are generally leaving motherhood until later, so it's later eggs where there's more chance that there's possibly a genetic abnormality, not always, obviously. But if anything, if we do keep leaving motherhood until later, these issues will only increase. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we can't think that this is some pandemic that's going to disappear overnight. It's just not. No, it's a bit like your hyperstimulation syndrome as well, because more and more people are having IVF. So these things are only Absolutely. getting more and more. And I guess to give an excuse, people are playing catch up at the moment, trying to. Yeah. Um, so how what, what's your dream for the future? How do you in terms of 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 using the campaign, what do you hope for? I I mean, I would love to get in hospitals myself and just speak with the midwives and the caregivers who who are the ones who deliver this news, just to let them know how it feels to be yeah. on the end of end of receiving it. Yeah. How little help was given. And again, I know it's not in every hospital and, and every clinic, but I do know that I have received literally thousands of messages on Instagram since I started talking about termination for medical reasons. And I can probably count on two hands how many had a positive experience. Wow. And some had a far worse experience than I had. Um, It it really is quite barbaric what has been going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And many women just took it that this is just how it is. It's an awful thing to go through. It's very traumatic. And that's that. Mm-hmm. And they never received care. And I have messages from women who went through it eight years ago. And this lady said, I wake up and every day it's the first thing I think of. Wow. I get a cloud of guilt over me and I don't feel I can be a, a real mum to my other children. Oh. And live with that every day because every day. of the guilt and the trauma and the taboo. There is no need for it. None of us wanted to be in that position. No. And we are often, it's felt as though we're punished because of, of what we went through. Which is so wrong. It's absolutely so, wrong. Yeah. And it really is. from day to day now, how do you stay so positive? How do you how do you keep going? Um I wouldn't had I not have had Jacks. I said that to Lex. If if you know, God forbid if his pregnancy didn't work out and then we went through what we did with Jesse, I don't know how I would have kept putting one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when times get really tough. I just go, but I have him. And when we went back for checkups, not long after he was born, even the consultant said, we have no idea how he's here. (laughs) It's a miracle. He's such a miracle. And I know that word is quite flippantly used within IVF, but he really did fight against I think fight is a really good word to describe him. He's a real fighter, isn't he? Yeah, he sure is. Yeah. Do you have a special way of switching off of kind of calming down um well do you know what just lately I just took myself off of Instagram and I found it ah. helped so much I just because I am quite active on there and mm-hmm. I got I for the kind of infertility community and the baby loss community and it all just got a bit much yeah you've got to look after um, yourself yeah and I went through another I went through my third miscarriage just recently during lockdown and it was a really awful one and I ended up hemorrhaging and being rushed to hospital and obviously had to be on my own for the entire thing and I think it only hit me perhaps six weeks ago and you just, just, like you've just spoken it. about that so flippantly but that in itself is an enormous trauma for anybody I know, but isn't it? it's funny Zoe because it's so minimal compared to what I've been through oh. and even when I was going through it so I lost two liters of blood in half an hour I oh. hemorrhaged downstairs in my bed and Jack saw oh. everything oh he did yeah he saw everything and um we had to do quite a bit of work with him afterwards because it did. Anytime he saw an ambulance, he kept saying, they're the people that helped you, mummy. Oh, wow. Like, clearly played on his mind. How, how um, have you explained it to him? What happened? I just said that sometimes mummy had a bad belly 
And the, I went to the doctors and they in the hospital and they fixed it all because they're amazing. And then he kind of takes it. He doesn't take it as fear because yeah. he's got, got um, hyperglycemia. So we often have to go to a hospital here for him as well. Yeah. And it's always fear because he has blood tests or he has something done to him. So it's just trying to switch that. Keep to it teach positive. Yeah. When you're trying to teach children that policemen aren't scary, they actually mm-hmm. help. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of flipping the narrative of it, really. I just think you're the most unbelievable woman I've ever spoken to. <laughs> the oh, things you've been through, and then what you've achieved from what, what's resulted from your from your trauma and everything you've gone through is is incredible. Um, I hope you feel proud of yourself and everything you've achieved. Yeah, I do. I mean, I feel I feel proud to even be here. To be honest, I do feel these last five years I've been through so much, and you know, when I was younger. I hated my body and now I've come to think how bloody amazing it is. Incredible. We should also add in that you you got married somewhere in that five years as well, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, so we did. We got married last August on the beach in Malibu. Yeah, we we work in the film industry and a client gave us his house for six weeks. Wow. Just a dream come true after everything we'd been through. Um, Yeah, it was just amazing. I'm so pleased you had a really positive summer and exactly. really good happening yeah, thank god we didn't leave it till this year yeah oh no don't don't please <laughs> so at the end of um my podcast i always ask um, everybody the same question like the beginning um so if you could have coffee with any woman ever in the world we're alive dead in history famous um who would it be I know with everything that's going on right now I should probably say some amazing feminist who nope. has changed <laughs> I'm going to say Judy Garland Oh, I'm fascinated by her. And I don't know if you've ever watched the film Judy. With I did, Renny's yes. Ever. Yeah, yeah, no, I did. She was incredible. Have, oh, my it. God, incredible. Oh, she was phenomenal, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. But just, I would just love to just know the ins and outs of, you know, how Hollywood drugged her to keep her alive, uh, keep her awake and then drugged her to put her to sleep and just literally worked her to the bone and... I just find her fascinating. Yeah. Incredible. I, I didn't actually realise her story until I watched the, the film. Yeah. It's Heartbreaking, isn't it? Awful. Because um, the song, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, is like a really important song in my family. And so it was like, oh, oh gosh. I didn't... Oh, yeah. It's, yeah it's, it's cool. It was tragic. Um, I see you've got a very close relationship with your mum. So this might not be a, a problem question for you, but since... Since becoming a mummy to Jax, what have you found yourself repeating that your mum used to say to you? So, my mum was always the softy. My dad was always the one that you didn't want to annoy. You didn't want to be naughty about him. And I find myself saying to Jax, if you do that once more, I'm going to tell daddy. Oh, the threat of the father. We're completely opposite. I'm the strict one and Lex is like the fun one who just come. But I think dads are often like that. They just come and do all the fun bits. They don't, you know, do all the, the bits that the kids hate. Like yeah, I think with my son, he knows he's really in trouble if daddy's got involved. Then, yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely, uh, I hear myself say that and I think you have turned into your mum. <laughs> And any amazing mum hacks you can share with us? I would just say, pick your battles. Do you know what? I, my mum said that to me very early on in my in my motherhood journey, and it's the one really? thing really stuck with me is choose your yeah. battles. I just think it's such a simple bit of bit of advice, but and I remember back in the early days when I would take Jacks out to a baby class, and he'd you know not play up, but just be mischievous in the class and you'd get really stressed and you just think 
pick your battles. If he wants to throw that maraca and not join in the class, I'm just going to let him because it stresses me more yeah. to try and coax him in. And um, yeah, I mean, he's such a good kid anyway, but there are definitely days where I just think, yeah, that's fine. Just, <laughs> just do what you want. <laughs> I haven't got the strength to fight you on that one. You win. No. We had an experiment with our son last night. We, um, we'd asked him several times to stop watching television. He'd come back from his sports activity. I went out to walk the dog. So he was a lot of a bit of TV time. Our daddy was finishing work. And um, both of us asked him more than once to stop watching. To come for a shower, come down for dinner. And um, we decided just to leave him and see when he realised um, that the house had gone dark, that we were all downstairs eating our dinner. <laughs> How long did it take? Uh, about it was about 45 minutes from when when I had first been asked. But the little monkey came down with the iPad still on, going, whoopsie, I missed it. So he didn't, didn't really care, did he? Well, he doesn't just now. He's realised what the consequences are. Did you take his iPad away? It's not his iPad. Yeah, um, yeah. so he'll be going at least two weeks with no TV and a little bit yeah. of reflection, I think, is needed <laughs> good yeah that's good we're just at the stage now where we're starting to properly like make jacks realize that if you do something wrong you lose something because up until that point i think they don't really and especially during lockdown it was like i ain't taking anything away i know well i know this is what i said to my husband so now we have to do two weeks with no television as well (laughs) this is the problem you do it yourself Go, go cold turkey yeah but it's the issues isn't it that realizing that they have responsibilities they need to be responsible for themselves and um and there are consequences that's it oh and also, i think especially with jack's just starting school he's really trying to see where his boundaries are yeah because he's trying to put his mark on everyone at school and figure out where he fits in there and he's bringing it home a bit so it's just pushing the boundaries constantly yes and i think there's also something about them behaving well at, really well at school and then using right. taking all the bad behavior yeah. home and just playing up with mum and dad yeah. which is yeah. which always kind of fun be like oh <laughs> yeah just it at home as well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so 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 much um i'll try and link everything you've talked about in the show notes so if anyone needs to access it they can um but thank you and um all the best You're for welcome. the future and um thank you. oh where can people find you sorry oh sorry it's little norfolk cottage which is just stunning um i'm from norfolk and you've made me fall in oh, love with it i'm from norwich <laughs> Yeah, you just make me fall in love with it. I love scrolling through your Instagram. Like, oh, oh it's a lovely place. <laughs> it is a lovely place. Yeah, it's amazing. So, um, Little Norfolk Cottage, people can find you on. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Whoa, Zara really is one amazing woman. She's changed the lives of so many families by raising the awareness and support around termination for medical reasons. But she did this with her own grief right there with her which takes so much courage and just shows how much belief she had that things had to change. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to join my Facebook community, Motherhood Exposed. You can find me on Instagram at zoecresswell underscore me. I'd love for you to share the podcast with all your friends as it really helps to spread awareness and hopefully provide support and hope to any families going through similar experiences. Have a great day and I'll see you on the next episode.